Good to be with you this morning. We're going to talk about finding God's will for your life. You know, last year, uh, the pastors took us through a rather lengthy study of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, uh, using John Crocker's book, Our Father in Heaven, Hallowed Be Your Name, Your Kingdom Come, Your Will Be Done, On Earth as it is in Heaven, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this is a prayer. Uh, you know, it's often called the Lord's Prayer. I don't agree with that. It's really the disciples' prayer, because Jesus would never have to pray for his forgiveness of his sins. But it's the prayer he gave to us that we're supposed to pray every day. And so part of that is we're supposed to pray every day that God's will would be done in the world and in our individual lives. And, you know, I wonder how often we think about that. Each day we wake up, okay, God, where are you leading me today? What's your will for me today? Um, So we have some questions to start out with that hopefully we're going to try and answer today. First is, so how do we discover God's will for our individual lives? How do we do that process? And how do we know if we are in his will or if we are out of his will? And when we're facing life-changing decisions, uh, how are we discover God's will for our future? Uh, where we are now, where is he moving us uh, tomorrow? Uh, how do we discover that? Well, that's the theme of our faith story talk this morning. In our years of life together, we have faced many major life-changing decisions, and we've learned some important lessons from God on how to discover his will, and more importantly, how to live in his will. We'd like to share some of those lessons with you this morning. Our story begins in downtown Cedar Rapids, Iowa. That's our hometown. Um, We first noticed each other in eighth grade at a YWCA dance. Um, But since we were in different junior highs, um, we didn't get to know each other until we found ourselves in the same homeroom together in 10th grade because both of our last names started with B. (laughs) We started dating the next summer and spent the next six years falling in love while we finished high school and attended Iowa State University, where I got my teaching degree and Bob got his degree in construction engineering. That was a long time to to date each other before marriage, six years, but the good part of that was is that we were best friends uh, when we got married, and our long courtship ended with a much-anticipated wedding 47 years ago tomorrow. (laughs) Tomorrow. So... So really, we've been together for 53 years. Um, While in college, I can still remember it very well, we were over at Gene's sorority house. It was the night on TV that they were uh, live uh, airing the drawing of the Vietnam War draft lottery, and where they would pull out a number of your birthday. Well, my birthday, September 26th, you may want to write that down for future needs. My number was 18, so I knew I'd be going. They were going to be drafting me. And so I looked at my different options, trying to determine God's will for my life. I wanted to stay in school. I wanted to finish my education. So I checked into and immediately joined the United States Army two-year ROTC program uh, and went to a couple summer camps. I had the 
unique privilege of walking on campus at Ames with my uniform on, being spit upon, and called a baby killer many times because the Vietnam War was such an intense time back in 68 to 72. Uh, came out of that, did well enough that instead of a reserve officer commission, I got a regular army commission. And so uh, we were sent off to uh, uh, Washington, D.C. for my engineer officer basic training. I joined the Corps of Engineers. Uh, I thought immediately after that three-month course I'd be heading to Vietnam. The course, the class in front of me went to Vietnam. Mine did not, by God's will, by God's grace. The war was winding down, and so instead we found ourselves moving all the way from Virginia out to Seattle, where I served as a combat engineer, platoon officer, and executive officer of a float bridge company for three years at Fort Lewis, Washington, just outside of uh, Seattle. One of our neat things of going to D.C. was I graduated on May 28th. We were married on June 10th. We were in D.C. by the 24th. And so we got to see our first married uh, July 4th at the Washington Monument with the military band. It was really a, amazing. The fireworks were unbelievable. Uh, had a good career going in the Army. Could have stayed in the Army. But uh, because I'm the only Blonick son of Blonick Construction Company, it was expected of me to come back home and run the family business. I had never had an option of which college I went to. My parents went to Iowa State. So did my sister. So... I was told to go to Iowa State, get a degree in engineering, and come back to run the family business. Uh, so that's what we did. We moved back to Cedar Rapids after the Army and uh, um, started to live our happily ever after life in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. But God had different plans for us. Yes. I was raised in the Presbyterian Church. Our faith stories are very different. Um, I grew up in a Christian home where we read the Bible and we prayed together. Uh, it was through Young Life when I was a sophomore in high school that I owned my own personal faith in Christ. Um, I was 15 years old then. It was a really neat Young Life group. It was an older couple in our in Cedar Rapids. They probably had 60 to 70 high school kids, junior high kids, in their home once a week. And I went because Jeannie Boynton went. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure that... Uh, I heard the gospel, but I, I had grown up also in the Presbyterian denomination or congregational denomination because uh, I went where my parents went. Uh, something must have happened. My dad would never talk about it in church leadership, and he got turned off to the church. And so they stopped going, but I kept going because, first of all, I had to finish completing my Boy Scout God and Country badge. And secondly, I love singing in the choir. I probably shouldn't say this playing in the handbell choir. <laughs> don't ask me to do that again. Uh, and uh, and so I continued to go there. And, and But back then, I would have told you I was a Christian. I mean, Jean married me thinking I was a Christian. I thought I was a Christian because I had been taught all my life that you're a good Christian if you're a good person and you do good works. And I was a pretty good guy. I was a straight arrow, good moral businessman. And so I, I was depending on my good works to get me into heaven. <clears throat> so when we served in Iowa, I mean served in the Army in, in Washington, we went to a Presbyterian church. When we moved back home to Cedar Rapids, we started attending the Presbyterian church where Jeannie and I had been married. And uh, I was so strong in leadership that they made me deacon of donuts and coffee. And I always say is, that is the most important Yes, position. if the donuts aren't 
Ready. Right. <laughs> the coffee's not right. <laughs> you hear about it. <laughs> um, I was invited to join a women's Bible study, and I became friends with Sarah Eggeridge, who's the wife of Dr. Emerson Eggeridge, the author and founder of Love and Respect Ministries. We studied how to be the wife of a happy husband. So Bob thought that was a great study for me to go to. Um, the Eggeriches, uh, out of that women's Bible study, wanted to start a couple's Bible study and asked all the women to invite their husbands. Well, when Jean asked me, I said, well, what's a Bible study? I mean, I'd never, been, I'd never studied the Bible. The Bible had been read at church, but the sermon had nothing to do with the Bible. Um, and uh, so I didn't know what a Bible study was. Uh, but so I wasn't sure what I was getting myself into, but she told me they were going to study a book by Professor Howard Hendricks from Dallas Seminary called Heaven Help the Home. Probably many of you remember that book. I had a one-year-old daughter, and that's what really started moving me towards my faith. I realized there was more in life than just making money, being a successful businessman, and playing golf at the country club all week. Uh, I needed to raise my kids uh, in the church. And so I decided to go. It was obvious to Dr. Eggerich Emerson that I didn't know what it meant to be a Christian. I'll never forget the night in a farmhouse out in Lisbon, Iowa. Eight couples were sitting in a circle, and that night Emerson says, I want us to go around the room tonight and share our testimony of how we came to know Christ. Well, luckily he went that way, because <laughs> if he'd gone this way, I, wouldn't, I didn't know what a testimony was. So I get to hear 15 testimonies. And so by the time it got to me, I kind of had figured out what I needed to say. So I don't know what I said, but I stumbled through it. But it was obvious to Emerson that I didn't have a clue about salvation. And so he took me out and uh, discipled me and mentored me and shared the gospel with me over a period of time, many breakfasts and lunches. And uh, I said, well, you know, that's good, but... Then the Lord started working on my heart, and I'll never forget. It was August of 77 in a major downpour, thunderstorm. I was driving home late from work. I was there late bidding a job and just felt all the pressures in life, uh, some family issues from my family of origin and some other things. that I wasn't really walking with the Lord, didn't know the Lord, so I pulled my car over into the parking lot of the swimming pool at our development and broke down and sobbed and gave my life to Christ that night and uh, became a new creature in Christ. And it was that night that I took the first step in discovering God's will will for my life. It hadn't really interested me before that. The other couples in our Bible study were attending a Bible church that was pastored by Jim Danhoff, who was a Dallas Seminary grad. And so we joined them there. For the next nine years, we learned to study the Bible. We learned to serve in the local church. And during those nine years, uh, my desires in life began to change. I was given opportunities as a layperson to serve in the local church, to do what lay people do. And my first assignment, I was asked, you know, I'd become a Christian in August. In September, I was asked to teach senior high Sunday school. <laughs> and the curriculum was the book of Revelation. <laughs> I'm sure some of those kids are hiding in a cave somewhere, <laughs> waiting for the Lord to return. I don't, know, I don't know what I taught them. 
But uh, I then moved on. Well, I served donuts and coffee. But I was good at that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> moved on to teaching adult classes, uh, served as a deacon and an elder. In fact, because I was a construction engineer, I was in charge of a project like this where we remodeled our church. So I got to do that for our church. I also got very involved into a ministry called Christian Businessmen's Committee. It's a national ministry to businessmen. And uh, we, I helped charter a, a, a charter in Cedar Rapids, a committee, and we held weekly meetings, and uh, we had a prayer breakfast every year. We brought in Tony Evans a couple of years around Easter, and just had I had a real effective ministry to businessmen. Uh, business people sit in their offices, and they've they give the airs that they've got it all together, but I found talking to businessmen, high-powered businessmen, some of the most high-powered businessmen in Cedar Rapids. Inside, they were scared little boys, and they needed the Lord. And so I got to lead a bunch of them to the Lord. So because of all this, because of my ministry that I was getting involved in, I found all my joy and affirmation in doing that, not so much anymore from the business side. So I started to dream about the possibility of considering entering into full-time professional Christian ministry. However. (laughs) I didn't think that was a good idea. (laughs) I did not, and I have that in my script, I have it in capital letters. I did not want to be a pastor's wife. I felt that pastor's wives had to be perfect. I was not perfect. I didn't want to be critiqued and judged by others every day. I loved our hometown. I loved living close to our families. I loved our friends. I loved the beautiful house, which was my dream house. I did not want to move away from this place that I thought we would always live. Um, This was definitely not the life that I had signed on for when we got married. So that put me into a dilemma of feeling that God was moving me that direction, but not moving Jean that direction. And so I asked my pastor, you know, a couple questions. How, how do you discover God's will for your life? Well, he gave me a book that changed my life. This is the old copy of it, 1980, Decision Making and the Will of God by Gary Friesen, a biblical alternative to the traditional view. And this book was very helpful. Let me try and condense 430 pages of it down into a, a quick synopsis of the book. He said the traditional view of God's will is this, that God has a will for your life and it's a bullseye and you better hit the mark. You better find the exact point that God wants for your life. The right spouse out of 7 billion people, you better pick the right one. (laughs) You better have the right job. You You should live in the right house, the right community. So everything came down to this traditional view of you had to find that spot, and if you didn't, you were outside of God's will. The extreme of that, I remember our children's ministry pastor got up one Sunday and preached a sermon on how he used to stand at the meat section of the grocery store and pray over the packages of ground beef (laughs) so that he would be sure he would pick out the one that God had for his will for his life and not pick out the one the devil was tempting him with. Mm-hmm. And it's like, really? That, that's, what, that's how you discover God's will? Well, Friesen came up with a different model, kind of called a non-traditional view. He says there are three wills of God. The first is the sovereign will of God, how God rules the universe. 
God has a sovereign will over all of his creation, but then for us humans, God has given us a moral will. He's given us the moral will of his law from Scripture. That this is how we're supposed to, it's barriers on the road. It's how to keep, live a moral life. The instructions on, on how to discover God's will for your life. And as long as you're within that moral will of God, then your individual will doesn't have to be a bullseye. It can be any of these dots as long as you're within the moral will of God. And so what I was learning was is that I had to discover God's moral will for my life and make sure I was following that. And then there were many different options available to me, uh, using my mind, using uh, uh, experiences to, to choose. I could stay as a professional businessman. I could maybe go into the pastorate. I could be a Christian counselor. All of those were okay with God as long as I was within his moral will. So based on that teaching, I didn't fully uh, develop this back then, but we have over the years. We have come up with our own six-step plan or strategy that we use for finding God's will for our life. And that's what we want to share with you this morning. And when we're done, we'll have a handout available to you if you want one with all the scripture verses, so you don't have to write it all down now. And we will autograph these if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so I needed to discover which one of these was the best for me, the best for my wife, and the best for my children and family. And, 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 how, and, and, and I've changed that. I mean, the will has changed in my different jobs and different churches, but as long as I've been within his moral will, I'm not outside of God's will. Does that make sense? <laughs> you know, like, so if you're picking a church, boy, I better make sure I'm at the right church. I'm going to be outside. No, there are many good churches you could be at, Bob. Walk through those doors. So here's our six-point process that we use. First thing I try to do is I try to get what I say, I try to get confessed up. I, I, I say, you know, I can't, I can't expect God to show me his will for my life if I'm throwing mud in his face, if I'm not following the moral will of God. If I'm living a life outside of the moral will of God, I shouldn't expect God to show me his individual will for me. I need to get my act together. So I had to look at my own sin life, what were the sins I wasn't dealing with in my life, that ongoing journey of being more conformed to the image of Christ. I had to, you know, someone once said, each of us has a signature sin, a signature secret sin. It's a sin that no one else knows about, but we've put our signature to it. So I had to look at some of those things. Then I had to ask myself, well, what's my motivation for doing this? Was it just to get out of the business world? Was it about me? Was it, well, you know, pastors get a lot of respect, I thought. Um, <laughs> maybe, you know, people look at me as super spiritual. Was I, was I doing it for the spotlight? What were my motivations? So I needed to confess those things to God and try and make sure that I wasn't doing it for bad motives or that there was sin in my life. And the scripture we have for this one is Psalm sixty-six, eighteen to 19. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. 
but God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Okay, get confessed up. Step number two was to get studied up. Well, what does that mean? Well, I needed to study from God's Word what God's Word was saying to me about this. I needed to look at the different options. And I spent a lot of time studying uh, the examples of people in Scripture, of of Abraham and Moses and how they were called by God and how they left this life and went into that life. It it had to be more than just me deciding. It had I had to feel God was leading me that way, so I studied. And I've learned this many times uh, in my 33 years of ministry is that going into full-time ministry isn't just a career choice. You don't just choose, I'm going to not be an engineer anymore. I want to be a pastor. I tell people I'm a recovering engineer now. <laughs> uh, to become a pastor, you have to be what I call called to that. It's not just a desire. You have to know that God is calling you to that. And so when young people come to me today, I tend to burst their bubble a little bit. I'll have Over the years, I've had a number of people come into my office for counseling and say, you know, Pastor Bob, I'm thinking about going to seminary. I first say, man, that's great. You know, let's, let's pray about that. But let me tell you something. If there's anything else you can do besides going to seminary, go do it. <laughs> and they look at me, what? I said, you don't go into the ministry because it looks like a fun career. You have to be called into the ministry because that's the only thing that will keep you in ministry when the mm-hmm. times get tough. And they do get tough. And they do get tough. Yeah. Um, one who I really got this from and, and saw was the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's the Apostle Paul persecuting Christians, getting uh, letters to persecute Christians, and he's on his way to persecute some more Christians, and he meets the risen Christ in the road to Damascus, and his life is completely changed. He is called out of that life into a whole new life of ministering to the Gentiles. Later in Second Corinthians uh 11, he says that he'd been whipped, he'd been beaten with rods, he'd been stoned, shipwrecked, robbed, he was without food and shelter. Well, why hadn't he quit? Well, he didn't quit because he had been called to that ministry by God. And so I had to wrestle with, I had to study that, the understanding of being called. It wasn't just, well, I don't like being at Blonde Construction anymore. I needed to feel God's calling to my life. And I just want to add, when we talk about call, we're not talking about a one-time moment. Right. It's like a processing of God in your heart and over time, and, and we'll be touching on that more. But our scripture for that is Psalm 111, I'm sorry, 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So if you're struggling with what's God's will, I'd say a lot of the answers, all the answers are in his word. You just need to, to study that. Third, you need to get prayed up. You need to get on your knees. You need to seek God's leading in this. So I started daily turning it over to him. Not only that God would would move in my heart, but maybe he would change Gene's heart. Because uh, I had seen too many, I we've seen now that we counsel pastors, we've seen too many opportunities where a spouse is called to this ministry, and this spouse is called to the spouse, but not to the ministry. 
lot of missionaries. One of them has a call to the mission field, and this one is married, so they go with them, but they're not both called, and it creates problems. So I wanted to make sure that God was calling Gene, because I've had in counseling people say, well, you know, God told me I was supposed to do this. And I said, well, don't you think he could tell your wife the same message? (laughs) So I wanted to make sure God spoke to her heart, and so we decided to to really pray about it. And I'm just going to add, with so many of the couples that we've counseled, usually the result of only one of the persons being called into the ministry and the other being called to the spouse is deep, deep depression. Um, It's just, it's a very difficult thing to deal with over a period of time. In those nine years, um, there were many life circumstances that made the timing difficult for me to even think about leaving. Um, My mother um, contracted cancer in her 50s and died um, when our Kelly was just a year old. Um, Her mother, my grandmother, um, developed the same cancer later, um, lymphoma. She also died, and I was caring for her. And two of our children were born um, during this time. So um, it was just a really, really hard, hard nine years. Um, However, in spite of those difficulties, um, I continued to pray and seek God's leading and will for us. Our scripture is 1 John 5, 14 to 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching, approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Yeah, and that's just something, you know, we've learned over the years. Whenever we prayed to God, if this is your will, Father, mm-hmm. if this is your will, not, uh, we don't want to be outside of your moral will. Number four is we try to get counseled up. We try to get counseling from other people. And so I started that journey of talking to almost every Christian I knew and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? Some people affirmed it. Some didn't affirm it. Uh, Every time an outside speaker came to our church, I'd ask him out to lunch and and say, hey, I'm a businessman. I'm thinking about doing this. Dr. Bill Lawrence from Dallas Seminary, I went out to lunch with him. He said, well, tell me what you're doing now. So I told him about my ministry with Christian businessmen. He said, you've got a ministry that many pastors will never have. Why would you want to leave that? You're reaching people that will never be inside a church. I said, okay. That's an affirmation of I'm in God's moral will. I could stay doing that. Went to a Bible conference in Waterloo where Haddon Robinson spoke. He was a a homiletics professor at Dallas Seminary eventually became the president of Denver Seminary. And he was the best preacher I'd ever heard, so I wanted to get his advice. And um, He was very gracious, and he said, well, my suggestion would be is, you know, get to work, look at, if you're thinking about this, if God's opening that door, look at different seminaries and go visit them. He said, my experience is God will let you know when you're there, if this is where he wants you to be. I thought that was good advice. My spiritual father and mentor, Emerson Egrich, said, Bob, make sure you're running to something and not away from something. My interest was waning in the construction business, but he said, make sure you're not just doing this to get away from that and the problems there. Make sure you're running to something, that God is moving you to something positive. I also sought godly counsel and what it meant to be a pastor's wife. Um, I used a lot of Jill Briscoe's um, resources. 
Um, and one night I was reading the book High Call, High Privilege um, by a pastor's wife, Gail McDonald. Um, and Bob was at an elder meeting. It was late at night. Um, he always scheduled his meetings at 8 o'clock at night so that he'd be home with the kids for dinner and bedtime stories. And so um, it was pretty late that night. Um, but I just felt this tremendous peace at that time that, um, you know, it was we're involved in ministry. <laughs> we're involved in shepherding now. We need to get trained. You know, it was just like, we need more training in this. It's not that we're going to stop ministry because I don't want to be a pastor's wife. We're going to be ministering the rest of our lives. Um, yeah, at, that, at that time, uh, the church, much like the elders are doing now, Joey mentioned that, we split our church. The church was about 600 into five different zones. And so we took one of the zones, Cedar Rapids is kind of split in the five geographical areas. So we were a zone elder. Mm-hmm. And so we had 125 people we were responsible for as a lay elder. And we were dealing with all kinds of issues we were not trained for. So we yeah. said, we need to go get trained. So our scripture is Proverbs eleven fourteen. Without good direction, people lose their way. The more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. Confessed up, studied up, prayed up, counseled up. Well, then I needed to get researched up. I needed to research the process. Uh, You know, God gave me a mind. He gave me an ability. I realized after a while I was sitting around thinking, because my pastor had come from Dallas, a seminary, that's where I'd be going. I was just kind of waiting for a letter someday from (laughs) Dallas Seminary saying, hey, we've heard about you. And we want, and we want, we you. want you to come to seminary. And I thought, well, that's kind of dumb. I need to start looking into this. And so I started looking at five different seminaries and starting that process. And I think that process it was kind of a very scary one because it's kind of like, okay, we've been talking about it. Now we have to actually do something. You know? Yeah, I mean, at the age of 34, I went and took the graduate record exam. <laughs> You know, I'd been out of school. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I, I knew nothing about philosophy and theology. And so, I, I'm, you know, you walk in this room, and here's all these college graduates. And they're saying, hey, you know, are you the proctor? <laughs> <laughs> are you the teacher? No, I'm taking New. the test, too. <laughs> so I had, you know, I had to jump, put that roll was up terrifying. my sleeves. That was terrifying. Roll up my sleeves and get to work. I also I also wanted to research different degree programs, the different seminaries. I looked very heavily at one in Grace with Dr. Larry Crabb because I didn't know if I was going counseling or, or pastorate. So I had to look at those and study those. And then I also had to sit down and crunch the numbers financially because we were going to be leaving a very, very secure financial position and stepping out in faith with really nothing. How are we going to be able to afford this? Yeah, so our our scripture for this is Proverbs 2, 2 to 4. Tune your ears to the world of wisdom, searching for it like a prospector panning for gold, like an adventurer on a treasure hunt. And this surely felt like an adventure we were on. So after doing all those things, then it's time to what we say we need to get tuned in. We need to get down and look at, okay, what is God's will? So I activated my radar and started looking for open doors. That's the what we use. We look for doors God is opening in our lives. Too often I've tried to open the door, and that hasn't ever worked out. But if I wait for God to open the door, especially if it comes out of left field, if it wasn't something I was expecting, I say, okay, God, you may be doing something here, 
I'm going to walk through that door. I'm going to get tuned into where you're leading me. And I'm going to say, if this is not right for me and my wife, my family, close that door, Lord. Shut it down. But as long as it's still open, I'm going to continue to walk through it. So I decided to walk through whatever doors got open. And I took Dr. Robinson's advice and decided to visit some of the seminaries. A funny story on that is, is I called up Trinity Seminary, Ted's, uh, in Chicago, our denomination seminary. I said, I'd like to come over. I'm a businessman. I'm 36 years old. I'd like to come over and look at maybe coming to seminary. Well, they were used to that. A lot of second career people were now starting to do this. And so I drove over. I can't remember. Like on a went Thursday night. And they had a, all day, the next day, all filled with meetings with the big wigs at the seminary. Well, I got into town around 4 o'clock and had some dinner. They put me up in a dorm, and I went over to the office, and I said, is there any classes going on tonight I could just go sit in on just to see what it's like? So she looked at She said, oh, there's only one class. It's a senior-level class. It's a small class, and it's on Diedrich Bonhoeffer. <laughs> <laughs> so I went over a three-hour class. I lasted an hour and a half. <laughs> I sat in the but I didn't understand a word they were saying. They were talking German, they were talking Latin, they were talking philosophy and theology, and I'm going, what am I doing? I'm an engineer. What is this? <laughs> and so I at the break I thought, well, you know, I've come all this way. I went up to the professor and I said, Hi, I'm Bob Blonick, I'm a businessman from Cedar Rapids thing. He said, Oh, you are? He said, Well that's interesting and uh, tell me, where are you looking? I said, well, I'm here, obviously, looking at Trinity. I'm looking at Dallas. I'm looking at Grace and Talbot and Denver Seminary. And as soon as I said Denver Seminary, he grabbed me by the arm, <laughs> and he pulled me over the corner, and he said, I'm Dr. Bruce Demarest. I'm a visiting professor from Denver Seminary. <laughs> you don't want to come here. God wants you to come to Denver, Denver Seminary. Seminary. Okay. I, you know, I drive 300 miles, and that's what God tells me. Well, and then I find out that Haddon Robinson has now become the president, and I can learn homiletics from Dr. Robinson. From, yeah. Plus, they had a degree, a double degree in counseling and, and divinity. So I could take that and then decide through that process if God was calling me to preach or to be in counseling. Yeah, so our scripture for this is Second Corinthians two twelve. When I arrived in Troas to proclaim the message of the Messiah, I found the place wide open. God had opened the door. All I had to do was walk through it. Sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? <laughs> was not easy. <laughs> so as we walk this faith journey together, uh, we had to make a decision first which seminary to go to. It just seemed like God was moving us to Denver Seminary. Uh, didn't want to move to Chicago area. Didn't like Chicago. Dallas, I'd been to. They made you wear a coat and tie every day. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'd done that as a businessman. I didn't need to do that. and you know, Little things like that. But God seemed to be leading us to Denver Seminary. And I thought, man, if there's a neat city to go move my family to for three years, why not go out west? Um, and the list went on and on. So we decided to take um, this painful, and I have the word painful in capital letters. It was extremely painful step of faith um, in following his will without knowing all the details or the outcomes. We sold our dream house. We left the family business. That was very hard. 
We left a very secure income and a very secure financial future. We packed up our belongings. We loaded up our three kids. At that time, they were 10, 7, and 2. We said goodbye to our families, which meant we were taking the kids away from their grandparents. That was very painful. Um, We said goodbye to our friends. We started on our exciting and very scary adventure with God, asking him every step of the way to close this open door if it wasn't his will. We found a nice home um, with the help of Bob's cousin, who was a realtor in Denver. We found a great church where Bob got to be in an intern position. Um, We made new friends. Bob survived. Summer Greek. (laughs) This is a non-language guy. I didn't understand English. (laughs) That was an engineer. (laughs) He'd never written a paper. I mean, oh my goodness. Um, Let's see. (laughs) Oh, he survived Summer Greek. And for three, um, really hard, um, he went full-time didn't take any days off, um, did not take the summer off. Um, But they were wonderful years, too. God confirmed our decision. Um, Since that big decision 33 years ago, we've used this decision-making process many times. Um, But there are three more major decisions that we've had to make that we want to share with you. So seminary is now over. I've graduated. Now what do we do? Where do we go? We look for our first church. I had been convinced by God that it was God's will for me to preach his word. That had been confirmed. And so I decided I wanted to be a preacher. Well, now I needed to find a church. And uh, where was I going to be? Well, the church we were involved in, our pastor was internationally known. He had an uh, international ministry. People from all over the world were coming to learn how to do ministry, outreach ministry from our church. Very exciting church. We had church of about 1,500 people with a sanctuary that sat 200. We had seven services on a, on a weekend because we put our money into ministry, not into the facilities. And so that's what it was called, the unleashing, unleashing the church, getting the church out into the community. And I had been greatly impacted by that. Well, uh, the pastor came to me and basically said, Bob, you know, we want you to stay and we want you to basically be a co-pastor with me. As I travel, I want you to handle the pulpit. I said, whoa, that's an awful big responsibility. And what caught me off guard was is that I had tried for three years to get close to this man. That's the one thing I wanted to do in seminary was get close to a senior pastor and really learn from him. I could not get close to him. He was kind of standoffish. No one really got close to him. And so I was really wrestling with that. Okay, God, I just don't have a peace about this. It's a great tremendous opportunity. It's an open door, but no peace. It's an open door, but no peace. And uh, I found out later, we decided not to stay. We also wanted to move back home closer to Iowa, where our parents were aging. Uh, Both my parents suffered greatly their last 11 years of their lives with strokes and Parkinson's. I wanted to be home to help care for them. I found out five years later that the reason no one could get close to him was he was having an affair with the secretary all during this time. Mm-hmm. And God protected me from that. So mm-hmm. I was thinking, Lord, why, 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 this seems like the place, but you're saying no for some reason. So I've learned now that don't fight it when God's trying to close the door. Mm-hmm. He, he's protecting you for something down the road. But my mentor, Dr. Harold Westing, who was the dean of students and my golfing buddy <laughs> at seminary, uh, you know, it's unusual. Most 
other people at seminary were 24, 25. I'm 36 to 39. So I, 39 when you so I was more in touch with him. So he was a church consultant, and he came back from a consulting thing in a little church up in uh, northwest Indiana, the Chicago area, where I didn't want to move to <laughs> before. So God said, okay, I'll show you. And, uh, <laughs> He said, I have a church. I don't that, know if that's theological. That, yeah, <laughs> a church that needs you. Uh, their pastor had committed adultery and left. And they had gone from 600 down to 200 people. All the elders had left. He said, they need a man with leadership qualities like yours to come in there. So I said, okay. And we we walked through that door, and they accepted us. And we went. We really didn't know what we were getting into. took five years to heal that church. We were there 16 years. But after five years, the church just exploded. It went When we left, it was over 1,000 people ministering to many people in the community. So it's just a real exciting time for us to see God, how he opened that door for us and, and moved us there. And he miraculously also provided a full-time teaching job for Jean. She'd been home for 18 years with the kid, but she got to go back and teach elementary, which helped pay for college and two Weddings. daughters, so <laughs> wedding. <laughs> Uh, am I still going? Mm-hmm. After 12 fruitful years uh, at that ministry, the church gave me a 12-week sabbatical. I applied for one of the Lilly Grant. Lilly gives grants to pastors for up to $35,000 to take a, a sabbatical. So we got a committee together. We uh, applied for it. I did not get it, but my church said, we still want to send you somewhere. So we found a place out in Colorado up by Pikes Peak called Sunscape Retreats where they take four pastoral or missionary couples for seven-day retreats until Jeannie and I got to go. And it was a blessed week. Jean didn't know there was counseling involved till we got there. Uh, it was interesting talk in our cabin that night. But they ministered... What? <laughs> I don't need counseling. They ministered to us. We didn't think we were in crisis, and we really weren't in crisis, but... It really solidified our marriage. It's a time and, of process, just processing. And kind of saying, do we stay? Life. Do we go? What do we do? And because of my counseling background and my pastoring background, I said to myself while I was there on our day of prayer, I said, Lord, if I could ever work here, if I could ever work in a ministry where I could pastor pastors, this is what I'd love to do someday. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell Gene that. I didn't tell anybody that. But it's interesting because... Uh, that looked like an open door for me someday, but I didn't. It, not at that time. Right. So um, God did open a whole new door for us in from 2004 to 2005. Um, I was given the opportunity for an early retirement from my school in Griffith, Indiana. Um, it was really a process of trying to get rid of the more expensive older teachers. I wasn't as expensive because I'd been home for 18 years. <laughs> um, but it was uh, a one. Uh, she's expensive. <laughs> Um, they were, you know, anyway, <laughs> they were offering, um, 10 years of free health care, free health insurance, um, one third of my salary for five years. Um, Bob was feeling that his work at the church was coming to a close, no specific reason, but just kind of feeling what's, what's my, we've, every vision I've wanted for this church has come to p- fruit. Um, what's next, Lord? Um, Anyway, so it just seemed like um, God was closing the door on our ministry in northwest Indiana. So we began to look for new open doors for our future ministry. 
So we took another step of faith. We stepped away from a secure position, the income and everything. Uh, uh, after 16 years, we decided to step out in faith. And we decided, well, now that we're grandparents, let's move close to our grandson. And they lived in Indy. And so we decided, well, let's move to Indianapolis, not knowing what we were gonna, where we we're going to be living, what we were going to be doing. I sent a letter out to everyone I knew in ministry that knew me and said, hey, we're we're leaving. We're going to Indy. Does anyone know of a ministry in Indy? I came down and looked at a couple of ministries. In fact, I put in a resume for a new senior pastor at Faith Church, Faith Missionary Church. But I got a notice that they had just hired their new pastor, Tom Macy. <laughs> so I looked at I looked at other opportunities. Well, I got a letter from the president of Sunscape Retreats. Bob, yes, we want you. When you were here, in 2001, we said to ourselves, you are a couple we want on staff someday. And so we'd like you to come work for Sunscape. And it's like, okay, Lord, you work in mysterious ways. That door you opened four years ago, you're now letting us walk through. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we said, we said yes, we would like to work for that ministry. Um, so... Uh, uh, Again, we got confessed up. We did all our things and said, yeah, it seems like the Lord is leading us to Sunscape. We loved our ministry with Sunscape, and we felt it was a ministry that God had been preparing for us throughout our entire (laughs) ministry experience. We moved to Indy. Since we were going to be able to be the traveling couple, um, we were covering different retreats all over. Their home base is Colorado, but we led them on Beaver Island, Michigan. We were in Georgia. Uh, Tennessee, and uh, most of them were in Colorado, though. Um, Bob had always wanted to be a part of the EFCA or the E-Free denomination, so we started attending and eventually joined as members here at Faith Church 14 years ago. For five years, we had the privilege of seeing God heal over 250 pastoral and missionary couples or singles. Um, as we led over 56 retreats. However, the traveling part of the ministry began to take a huge toll on us. Um, We would often spend three weeks in Colorado leading back-to-back retreats, and a retreat, one retreat in itself, is completely exhausting, and we would do back-to-backs, maybe with a one-day turnover there. And then we'd come back to Indy for maybe only two weeks, and then we'd head out to do more retreats again. So the travel schedule um, just kept us from becoming more involved here at Faith. Um, It wreaked havoc with our desires to be more involved in our grandchildren's lives. So we decided it was time to look for a new ministry in the Indy area once again, deciding to leave a stable income and a stable job. Yeah, I mean, I I was asked to teach here, and I couldn't because we were gone so much. I couldn't get involved in the men's ministry. We really couldn't get involved in a small group because we were gone so much. We were in a group, but we kept leaving. So (laughs) we said, we got to find something in Indy. So in 2010, we went through our process again. And one of the things on getting prayed up, we decided that starting on January 1st of 2009, we would literally get on our knees together every day and pray. For God's opening a door for a ministry here for us in Indianapolis while we were still doing retreats uh, through October uh, out in Colorado for Sunscape. Uh, I needed to keep working. I was five years away from Social Security, but more importantly, getting on Medicare because, mm-hmm. once again, we had no health insurance without uh, our own paying for it. Um, 
So I started researching. I started getting researched up, and I discovered a job on the Internet at a very large church here in town that was looking for an associate pastor of uh, adult ministries and small groups. Well, there weren't any senior pastor openings, and we loved our church here. And, and that was the hard part, thinking, well, if we got a new ministry, we'd have to leave Faith Church. But we, so we'd walk through whatever door of the Lord. Well, I got a reply from this large church saying, because I didn't think they'd even respond, because this was in January, and they had posted the job in August, but it was still open. I immediately got a call from their search committee chairman saying he wanted to have lunch right away. So I met the gentleman. He was very impressed with my resume plus my age of experience because they had a young. We had a good relationship with him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went through the process. He set up meetings with the senior pastor and his wife, the executive pastor and his wife, met with some of the board and went through all this process. And it seemed like the Lord was leading us there. However, because I was so desperate, to find a job, I realize now that I ignored the red flags. I ignored the warning signs. God mm-hmm. was trying to close that door, but I kept pushing it open because I was desperate. Um, I realized that the, the leadership style and the personality of the senior pastor would not be a good fit for me. Um, his philosophy on ministry was different than mine, but I'd always wanted to be in a large church staff. And uh, so I kept pushing that door open. I plowed ahead and ignored those warning signs and kept going. Well, the process kept going and got a call from the search committee chairman, and he was always excited when he talked to me. He said, Bob, we really want to meet with you at 7 o'clock on Wednesday morning, and we have some news to share with you. So I got up early and went over to the church and walked in with he and the senior pastor thinking this was going to offer me the job. And they said, Bob, the Lord has spoken to our hearts and told us you're not the man for the job. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'd like to pray for you. (laughs) And they kicked me to the curb. And I walked out of that meeting devastated. I went home and literally broke down and sobbed in bed. She didn't know what to do with me. I thought, Lord, what what are you doing? What was that all about? What was that all about? Why why would you take me through that door if that's gonna if you're gonna slam it on me like that? I said, close the door, don't slam it. But then, in hindsight, now I look back and I say, thank God I didn't go to that church because mm-hmm. it would not have worked out. Uh, I'm a very, very strong leader. I'm not a really good number two guy. But uh, I, I realize I, that would not have been good for us. It was such a high-pressure, large church situation. It probably would have killed, worn me out. I would have needed to go to Sunscape again. <laughs> so that's on like a Wednesday so Sunday we have to come to Faith Church. <laughs> and I didn't want to come to church. I was so angry at God. So we came to church and we sat in the sanctuary and Pastor Tom gets up. <laughs> and he announces to us as members of the church that the elders have decided we're going to be planting a church in <laughs> Indianapolis area and our associate pastor of adult ministries and small groups, Don Beachy, would be leaving our church and we would be looking for a new associate pastor. I looked at Jean and I said, you've got to be kidding me. That's the job I was just turned down on. Do you think there's a possibility of the people here would want me on staff? Well, Tom and I were good friends. Now, we're different personalities, and I know for five years I kind of drove Tom nuts a few times. I'm a driver, but I was a pretty good number two guy. And you asked him. I asked him. Could you work? Yeah, I said, can you work with me? Would you want me on your staff? And then I... 
met with the chairman of the search committee, said, what do you think? And what I told the church and him very specifically, I told the search committee, I don't want to be given this job. I want you to do a nationwide search, and I want if I'm the candidate that rises to the top, then I want to be hired. I don't want to be given this job. So I want to know it's God's will for my life and for this church. Well, the search committee brought me as a candidate. You voted, a unanimous vote, so I became your associate pastor of adult ministry and small groups. And by the way, Bob, we also want you to do missions. <laughs> that was thrown in on the side at the end. Surprise! <laughs> and so for five years, I got to serve you. I got to serve the people I already knew and loved. It's like, and that came out of the blue. That, that was out of left field. I was trying to force this door open. With red flags. With red flags. Mm-hmm. God said, Bob, trust me. Mm-hmm. Let's walk through this door. And so exactly. that's what we, we decided to do. Yeah. Um, did I cover all that? You covered everything. <laughs> so to conclude our story, after five years of serving on the pastoral staff here at Faith, we started a plan for Bob's retirement. Uh, when he turned 65, we again sought God's will for our future. God again surprised us through two tremendous gifts of new open doors for us to walk through. The first one was that he reopened the Sunscape Retreat stores. They wondered if we would be willing to return on just a part-time basis and uh, be retreat leaders again. So we now we lead four to five retreats a year in Colorado and Georgia. Um, using our gifts and even more experience <laughs> um, to work with other people, and we love to do that. Um, our ministry really works with pastors and missionaries on rest, renewal, and life change. And then the second um, amazing surprise from God was that um, Bob had wanted to become more involved in the E-Free denomination, um, and he opened the door for him to become the part-time regional superintendent, um, where you can oversee 43 churches in Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. And um, it's been amazing to me to see how effectively God uses Bob to pastor pastors and lead them through difficult times. It's just it's just interesting. Um, you know, it just so happens. We know it's God that he'll go and drop in on a pastor, and it's just that moment when the pastor needs to talk to someone. So it's been really awesome. Yeah, since January I've cut back. I've, I'm now just an area representative for Indy, South Indy, Indiana and Ohio. I oversee 21 churches now. Yeah, I've been trying to get with this young pastor for three years, and I finally showed up at his church last week and started sharing with him, and he broke down and started crying. Mm-hmm. He said, I have no one to talk to. Pastor, pastoring is probably the loneliest profession you'll ever find. Who can you really ever talk to? Please pray for your pastors and, daily. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's a tremendous opportunity we have of doing that. Well, all of these life experiences have really taught us one of my first verses I ever memorized as a new believer was, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. And I love how Eugene Peterson has paraphrased this verse in his paraphrase the message. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. (laughs) Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. So that's our story, and we're sticking with it. (laughs) So back to those three original questions. So how do we discover God's will for our life. And how do we know if we are in his will or out of his will? 
And when we face those life-changing decisions, how are we to discover God's will for our future? Well, we've learned to follow a six-step process. We get confessed up, studied up, prayed up, counseled up and researched up, and then we do our best to get tuned in to the very open doors that God is opening, and we walk through them all the time asking him to close those doors that we shouldn't be pursuing. So hopefully our faith story um, will help you as you look for God's will in your lives. We're const- It's not a one-time thing. It's, we are, as you could tell from our story, we're always saying, God, what is your will tomorrow? What is your will next week? Um, what is your will today? Um, we just thank you for this opportunity to share our story with you this morning. So, so any questions? <laughs> yes. <laughs> 